welcome to episode two of the Tiberius Well podcast. I hope you've had a good week. This week you join me on my sofa um, in my lounge because this week I'm not going to be walking about on my way to work. Instead, you're going to have to listen to me as I review a movie that I've just heard about, which has just been released on Netflix. It's a Netflix original called Naked. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Most people haven't, and probably for the, for the better that you haven't. It's a, a film, a comedy movie starring Marlon Wayans, who you may remember from movies such as uh, the Scary Movie franchise. The premise of this movie is, is absolutely horrible, and I'm hoping it's going to be as awful as it sounds like it's going to be. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch the film, I'm going to take notes as I go, and I'm going to pause it at pertinent points, uh, timestamp those points, so that if you are so inclined, you can watch the movie with me, pausing at those points, hearing my feedback at those points. And if you don't watch it, I feel like you're probably not going to need to because you're probably going to get quite a good flavour of what's going on just from the way I'm describing what I'm seeing. Anyway, on to business. What I should mention is, uh, as a reminder last week, as I'm sure you'll know if you've heard the podcast, if not, you should, I sampled one of Dr. Oatka's uh, snacks uh, called Put in a Mug, which is a uh, basically a, a cupcake um, powder that you add milk to, lob in the microwave 50 seconds, and you're supposed to end up with a cupcake as a result. It was pretty horrible. Uh, what I noticed on the back of the packaging uh, was that it had a customer feedback email address, which I contacted just to offer my, my frank uh, feedback on the product. It wasn't at all a complaint, it was more just a friendly suggestion on what they could add to their portfolio going forward. So as I said, if you're not aware of that, have a listen back. But what I'm pleased to announce is that they did reply. The channels of communication were opened and they did respond to my email. It was actually quite a nice email. Let me uh, just get onto the response that they gave me. Uh, right. So I heard back from the consumer response team at Dr. Oka last week, and their email goes like this. Dear Tiberius, many thanks for taking the time to contact us. I am very sorry to hear that you are unsatisfied with your sticky toffee put in a mug. I note you have said that this is not a complaint. However, if you would like us to investigate your concerns, please can you provide me with the unpacked production details and your address so I can fully log your complaint. I would like to thank you for your suggestions. These have provided much amusement in the office on this chilly Monday afternoon. Kind regards, Dr. Oka, Consumer Response Team. Now, it's lovely that they responded to my email. It's lovely that they thought I was funny in my email. That's great. But what I was a little bit concerned about is that they asked for my <laughs> address. Because although, you know, as they rightly said, I'm not making a complaint but they wanted to investigate my uh, my points further. And in order to do that, they wanted my address. Um, I'm not sure if you know that Dr. Oka historically has had associations with the, the Nazi party. So I was a little bit worried about what that would entail if I give them my address, would I get a pipe bomb through the post? Uh, but I decided to throw caution to the wind and I sent them my address. I said, look, listen, this isn't a complaint. As you said, I don't want you to investigate anything I was just offering some feedback and just trying to open a dialogue with the lovely people at Dr. Oka. Here's my address anyway. 
please don't send me anything nasty, but if you want to send me anything else from the Dr. Oka portfolio of products for me to test and talk about, then feel free to do so. Then the following day, I have a letter from them, which goes like this. It says, Dear Mr. Tiberius, I refer to your recent email content, sorry, Dear Mr. Tiberius, I refer to your recent email concerning our put-in-a-mug sticky toffee. We were very concerned to learn that you were not satisfied with the quality of our product. All our products undergo thorough development trials and consumer testing prior to any product launch and reformulation taking place. We are very disappointed that you feel the product did not meet your expectations, which is bullshit because it did meet my expectations. I expected it to be fucking horseshit, and it's exactly what it was. Details of your complaint will be kept on record and we will be closely monitoring any further customer feedback that we receive regarding this matter. Your comments will also be passed on to both our production development and marketing departments. So what they're saying is, if anyone else happens to mention that the pudding in a mug looks and tastes what they imagine the aerated child's diarrhea is like, then they're going to take that take action on that. I'm not sure how many other people are going to use those real terms when they're uh, reviewing the product, but there you go. And then they said, I would like to thank you for bringing this matter to our attention, and as a gesture of our concern, please find the enclosed with our sincere apologies and very best wishes. What they sent me were two pounds, two great British pounds of vouchers um, for me to use next time I'm buying anything from the Dr. Oatka uh, baking products portfolio. So next time I'm really desperate for some baking powder, I'm gonna get a two pound discount from that purchase. So that's a lovely gesture. Uh, I'm delighted that they uh, thought of me. Um, but anyway, that's the consumer section of the podcast over with, back to the movie. So I went on to IMDb just to get a very brief kind of uh, plot summary of the film. There isn't too much written about it because it's only just come out. It's a Netflix original, so it's not on general release anywhere. But briefly, the, um, the plot summary is, nervous about finally getting married, a guy is forced to relive the same nerve-wracking hours over and over again until he gets things right on his wedding day. And I watched the trailer of it on Netflix, and it seems to me on first glance to be Groundhog Day, but shit. So Groundhog Day, but instead of it being a day being repeated ad nauseum over and over again, it's an hour of someone's life being repeated. And it seems that this guy is transported into an elevator naked and he has to get to his wedding and he keeps fucking up getting to his wedding in that hour because he's running around bollock naked trying to get to his wedding and he has to keep doing it over and over again until he gets it right i mean holy shit the fact that this exists is well, i'm gonna watch it so give me a couple of minutes i'm gonna stick it on now so sit tight i'm gonna watch the film now uh, and I'm going to pause it at the most opportune moment to talk about what I've seen, so I'll be back shortly.
Okay, so we are 13 minutes and four seconds into proceedings. Bear in mind, okay, that this movie is hitting around the 90 minute mark. Uh, so we're 13 minutes in and basically jack shit has happened up to this point. We've covered the usual bullshit of uh, establishing characters in a very obvious way, just in case people don't get it straight away. So our main guy, uh, Marlon Wayans, is playing a man called Rob Anderson, who is a supply teacher. He's a little bit of a layabout, a little bit of a wisecracker, you know, likes to tell a joke, doesn't get much work done. But for some reason, the kids in the school that he works at as a supply teacher really, really like him. He's uh, teaching English literature, which is cool, because he's obviously one of these guys who's quite intelligent, but a bit of a waster, you know. And... He's teaching in the school, and at the end of the lesson, he's told by the principal that he has a full-time job if he wants it at the school, because the person who he is replacing temporarily is going to be staying in rehab for a little bit longer than expected. Okay, He says, I don't want a full-time job. I can only commit to two days a week and no more than that. Okay, fair enough. So now he is in a rush because he has to go to the airport. He needs to get on a flight to Charleston, which is where he's going to be getting married the next day. Okay, so he's running and running and running. Imagine Home Alone style. He's running through the fucking um, airport, goes up to the check-in desk, or to the ticket desk, and says, have I, have I made my flight? And they're like, no, sorry, the doors are just closed. And he's like, oh, shit, okay, um, can I get on the next flight then? And he says, okay, the next available flight is tomorrow morning. And he's like, no, I can't go tomorrow morning. I'm getting married tomorrow morning. So he grabs the fucking tannoy mic and says, look, is there anybody who is prepared to give me a ticket to Charleston? I'm going to do some really bad shit to get this ticket if need be. You know, I'll do anything that isn't illegal. Please give me a ticket. Right? So that's straight away. Why the fuck? So he's taking this mic and he's shouting, making an announcement in an, in, in an airport. Almost like no terrorists <laughs> event has ever taken place where he's effectively hijacking a fucking airport for the sake of um, getting himself to the wedding on time when let's not forget the only reason he isn't on a plane at the moment is because he couldn't get his ass to the fucking airport in time because he's a waster okay cool so he shouts out can anyone help me with a ticket and then this lady's like yeah maybe i can help you and then this really awkward bit of flirtation ensues oh well, what are you going to do for the ticket so this woman is obviously the woman he's going to be marrying, but we have to wait for it to be spelled out for us because we're supposed to be thinking, oh my God, he, he's flirting with a woman, but he just said he's going to be getting married tomorrow. But that is so dishonorable. Okay. And then she says, oh, that's why I'm marrying you. Fucking wonderful. Round of applause, everybody. We've got our first plot point. Okay, so he gets on the plane goes to Charleston, goes to the church that he's going to be getting married in the next day, and his mum is there, who is uh, a really annoying, uh, talks a lot kind of woman, kind of arty-farty type, and the other, the other person there is the bride-to-be's father, who is an executive type, who really hates Rob, really hates him, has no time for his bullshit whatsoever. So there's the tension, there's, the, there's the, the rub, okay? The father hates him, he needs to prove himself to the father, blah de fucking blah Then we cut to going to the hotel 
that they're going to be staying in uh, the night before the wedding. And as he is, as Rob is hanging out outside the hotel with his friend, who's his best man, they have a little bit of uh, joking back and forth about how Rob's a waster and his best man's got a, uh, an afro that's unbecoming. Someone pulls up in a fucking bright yellow Lamborghini, who's this <laughs> like su successful white dude who happens to be the bride-to-be's ex-boyfriend, who's a very rich and successful man and an arrogant piece of shit. Um, he is there because he's been invited as uh, the bride-to-be. I'm going to keep saying bride-to-be because I don't know her fucking name at this point. I think her name may have been mentioned, but until I hear otherwise, she's bride-to-be. So her ex has been invited as the dad's plus one because what we found out about five minutes ago is that the mum is dead. So the plus one obviously is gonna be somebody who isn't the mum, because that would be an incredibly awkward ceremony. Someone's gonna to have to prop up a corpse. We don't know how long she's been dead. We may be looking at trying to dress up a skeleton. We don't want that, and I don't think that's the tone that Netflix are trying to um, get across here. So he turns up in his Lamborghini with his fucking sharp Armani suit. Proper prick, you know, th the kind of prick that you're expecting. No surprises, absolute fucking douchebag. Still holds a candle to, to the ex. He makes a little snide comment like, oh, she just got hotter. Goes over and gives her a really tender hug, a hug that's way too tender and way too long for a, a, a platonic hug, especially when there is a history between the two of them. Obviously, Rob is a little bit resentful of the whole thing. So we're in this uh, very, very, uh, predictable situation of dad hates his daughter's current boyfriend who he's going to marry. He much prefers the ex-boyfriend who's all successful and fucking rich and wears sharp suits and stuff. Because at this point, Rob is wearing like a, a cardigan and a, a t-shirt, which is normal, but apparently you have to wear a suit even the day before your wedding to be accepted by um, a posh family. Um, so we've got the, the usual bullshit. Ex-boyfriend is preferred. Can he win him over? Can he not? Is he going to be a fucking spanner in the works? I'm imagining he probably will at this point because he still fancies his ex. But, you know, she obviously has some sort of residual feelings, but she's in love with Rob. Rob makes her laugh more than anything. They have fun together, and he's, he's a chilled-out guy. He's a nice guy. He might be a little bit of a waster, but he is the man she has chosen to spend the rest of her life with. So, as I said, 13 minutes and four seconds. That's what's happened. We've established the main characters. It's the night before the wedding. They're at the hotel. They're talking. Let's see what happens next. Okay, back in a bit. Okay, so we're at 17 minutes 37 and shit has started to happen, but we're still, we're still not at the Groundhog Day point yet. So what are we, nearly like a fucking, what's this, nearly a third of the way through the film before anything really happens? It's the morning of the wedding. So we last left it at 13.04 where they're outside the hotel, Rob and his best man, and Rob's saying, so what, we, we, we going out tonight? And he's like, what, what are you saying? We can't go out tonight. And Rob's like, well, are we getting married tonight or tomorrow? So they go out on the piss. And it then cuts to Rob laying on the floor of an elevator, bollock naked. 
and he's stuck in the elevator. Someone outside the elevator is trying to open the doors. He opens the doors, he stands up, he's bollock naked. The hotel lobby is full of people trying to get in the lift and he's now walking through a hotel lobby naked. Now, I'm, <laughs> this might be the cynic in me, but I'm wondering whether part of this is because Marlon Wayans, who's a guy who's got to be knocking 40 by now, still has quite a good physique and has a tight ass. So let's have him bollock naked in the film because that will make it <laughs> give it a little bit more leverage because otherwise it's got not much to offer so far. So he's walking through the hotel lobby and he goes up to the concierge guy and he's, I need the key to my hotel room. Okay, what's your name? And he says, blah, 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 Rob Anderson. You're not booked in at this hotel. He says, yes, I am. Well, can I use your phone? So he rings his best man. The best man is already at the church. The ceremony has already started, and Rob's mum has started singing what is quoted in the movie as being back-to-back slave songs, which is actually quite amusing. So he needs his best man to come back and get him so that he can be saved, because at the moment, as I said, he's bullet naked, he's got nothing on him. He's on the phone to this guy saying, help me, pick me up, do whatever you need to do, help me. The ceremony's already started, everyone's a bit pissed off. The bride hasn't turned up yet, and the uh, asshole father-in-law hasn't turned up yet, but we're starting to get to the, the crux, we're starting to get to the, uh, the mild peril of will he get to the fucking church on time, albeit naked. Okay, let's see how this pans out, shall we? Okay, so we're at 24 minutes, 17 seconds, and now finally shit has gone down. Okay, so Rob is chased out of the hotel by security. It actually turns out the reason why his name wasn't on the list at the hotel is because he's in the wrong fucking hotel completely. The hotel he was actually staying at is across town somewhere. So he runs out the fucking hotel, chased by security, and ends up right in the middle of something called the bridge run, which is like a fucking marathon that's going on. The police are like, this motherfucker's naked. The security guards are chasing him, so he jumps over the barriers and starts sprinting down the middle of this closed-off road that's been uh, closed off for the, the run. He gets tackled by the police, and he gets arrested for being a streaker. Okay. Cut to the police station where he's being interrogated by two police officers. Excuse that noise, by the way. There's a pigeon outside my window trying to eat seeds out of the feeder that we've got and doing a very bad job of it. He's got absolutely no poise. This guy is cute as all fuck, but he is not a ballerina. I think Darcy Bustle is safe in her job, if she still has a job, because I think she's like 88 now. By the way, RIP uh, Bruce Forsyth. I mean, I'm not going to say that whole, didn't he do well, you know, he got to 89, good game, good game, all that shit. The motherfucker was 89 years old, and what was fantastic about this whole thing is that last year, 2016, the celebrity cull of 2016, where some real fucking big names died, some real legends of comedy and music and film. I mean, we so many people got 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 um, because they got killed. Did he? I don't think it's a conspiracy, but loads of people died last year, man. Loads of famous people died. 
And none of those people were Bruce Forsyth, a man who is knocking 90, who is in and out of hospital with various illnesses. He, I was pretty sure that every time a celebrity died last year, Bruce Forsyth kind of <laughs> became more powerful, you know? Um, so RIP Bruce Forsyth, it's very sad. Uh, he's finally dead, I mean, but let's just say he had a good innings, you know, 89 years old, he's been in showbiz for fucking 60, 70 years. <sighs> I think I might be distracted. I should say at this point, I'm like six beers in because I feel like I need to be in order to watch this movie. Um, so yeah, Pigeon, <laughs> Bruce Forsyth, RIP, back to business. Okay, so he's in the police station. He's been interrogated by two cops. Oh, there's another pigeon. Sorry, man. I've got to say this. There's another pigeon. This guy is a, a collared dove. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with collared doves, but they're the ones that are like light grey and they've got like a black collar around their neck. So that's why they're called collared doves, I imagine. And this guy I call shitback because <laughs> he's got this one feather that sticks up on his back. And it makes him look like a right fucking hobo. But he's got a wife who he hangs out with a load. But I think he's super cute, especially because he's imperfect and his imperfections are what make him perfect. Anyway, stop getting distracted by the fucking birds. You see, back in the day, the kind of birds I was distracted by were not the ones with wings. But you know, times change, don't they? Um, so, police station being interrogated. You know, last week I mentioned my ADHD. This is the very, very crux of the situation. And what I said last week as well about my medication and how it helps me to remember what I was talking about before. I might go off on one like a motherfucker, but I'll snap straight back into the thing I was talking about. It's amazing. It's really fun when you're the person having these episodes, but I can speak for Sarah and um, any other person who is close to me in life it's not fun for them because jesus christ try and keep up with it crying out loud and i tell you what when they can't keep up when they're confused by what i'm trying to say or that they're not completely <laughs> they're not with the program i'm really pissed off i've just been talking for five minutes how come we don't know what i'm talking about it's because i've been talking about eight or nine different things and i'm assuming that they're going to be able to keep up with it so yeah, police station, interrogated by two cops. We'll have to arrest you because you were streaking. But then they say, it seems like you've actually been the victim of quite a serious incident because we had reports that the lift at this hotel had been in intentionally compromised and damaged and you had been intentionally trapped inside that elevator Fuck knows how they know this, but we're talking sabotage. Okay, we're talking fucking sabotage. So who is it? Is it going to be the father-in-law who hates him, or is it going to be the jilted ex? So here it is. Here's the drama. Someone is trying to sabotage the wedding, but we don't know who it is. Cut to the wedding venue, the bride-to-be. Now, I'm going to say at this stage that I think her name might be Megan. I'm going to say Megan, and I'm going to continue to say Megan, even though I'm at best 
48% sure that that's what her name is. But for the sake of argument, for the rest of this podcast, the bride-to-be is called Megan. Rob and Megan. I know that Rob's correct, because his name's come up about a thousand times. He's been in every single scene, apart from this one I'm about to talk about. So they're at the venue. The bride-to-be's just pacing up and down, thinking, oh, shit, what's going on? He hasn't turned up yet. I'm worried about him. So at this stage, she's not pissed off. She's not thinking, oh, what sort of fucking caper is he getting up to now? What sort of mischief? It's shit. He should be here. He's not here. In walks the fucking father. You deserve better than this. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. She goes, but he might be dead. He might be dead. I'm worried about him. And then he says, but that would be really sad, of course, if he if he died. But what he'd really want you to do is move on. Then in walks the jilted ex, whose name I don't know. I'm just going to call him jilted ex or possibly successful white guy. <sighs> he walks in and he's just like, you deserve better than this. You deserve better than this. You deserve a better husband than this. Basically insinuating, marry me instead. And almost at this stage seems like it's being set up so that she will be forced. I don't even know in, in what part of the real world this would even fit in. But the actual husband-to-be doesn't turn up. So they replace him at the last minute with someone else. I'm not sure if that's even legal uh, because it hasn't certainly gone through the local, uh, the local council. Um, the, the wedding license, all that stuff. There's just like, no, let's just replace him at the last minute. We can do that. Um, I think that's what we're aiming at at the moment. Then cue a phone call from Rob from his prison cell. How the fuck he's ringing anybody from his prison cell? Somehow he, he's got the, the, like the Guantanamo Bay fucking uh, orange overalls on and he's talking on his mobile to Megan and he says, look, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry that I'm not there. I've been stuck in an elevator for eight hours. And she's like, oh, holy shit, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm really sad, though, because I really wanted this wedding day to be perfect. And she says, well, it can still be perfect. And as soon as you're in it, how long is it going to take you to get here? And he says, oh, funny story. I've been arrested and I'm in prison at the moment. Then this is where all the budget goes. Because apart from all the money that they spent on the um, stock footage of New York at the beginning of the movie, which I forgot to mention, um, it looks like he's suddenly in a kind of earthquake. He's in the, in the, the jail cell and it's all shaking and shit. And he's on the phone to, to Megan saying, can you not feel this? Can you not hear this? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Suddenly he's holding on to the, the bars of the jail cell and he's completely horizontal, almost like he's b being um, blown away in a fucking hurricane or something. It's almost at the point where you're thinking, I can see the wires here, but you can't, so it's fine. Then he gets blown right across the room and lands on the other side of the room, and the other side of the room turns into the floor of the elevator, and he's just waking up on the floor of the elevator again. So what they're trying to do here, Netflix, is they're thinking, well, Groundhog Day was a seminal work. It was, it was a beautiful film. It was fantastic. It's probably mainly because Bill Murray was involved in it and he's a fucking demigod at this stage. But Groundhog Day was good. And what we want to do is piggyback on, on that film that came out <laughs> like 25 years ago. But let's try and twist it up a little bit. 
So the twisting involves, rather than it being a white guy, it's a black guy, which is, you know, that's fine, whatever. But let's not make it about one day repeating itself over and over again. Let's make it one or two hours that repeat themselves over and over again. And let's bolster that by making him bollock naked so that we get to see his tight brown ass running around a few times. And this is what I think is wrong with a lot of stuff that's going on at the moment. Rehashes, uh, reimaginings of movies. I'm not saying that this is a reimagining of Groundhog Day. I'm saying this is a straight up fucking plagiarism of it. But they're trying to change it enough, <laughs> just enough, so that it makes it something that is going to be watchable and, in inverted commas, original. But in actual fact, it's just, it's bullshit. So yeah, he's waking up in the lift now. He's about to realise that he's going to have to live through these two hours again. So what I'm imagining is going to happen now is it's going to be, right, last time I tried this, I got tackled by security and then I ran outside bollock naked and got tackled by police and got arrested. So let's see if I can change my technique somewhat this time to get closer to the church. And what I'm guessing is going to happen is going to happen over and over again. And each time he gets closer to his uh, uh, objective and keeps getting tripping over certain hurdles and he has to try and work around it. So it's not quite like Groundhog Day, whereas Groundhog Day he had to... Although there, it was a little bit odd because he was... Let's see if I can convince Andy McDowell to, to bone me when I only met her yesterday. I've met her a thousand times at this point because I've had the same day over and over again. He's trying to work out stuff about her so he gets her to like him. But also what he ends up doing is improving himself as a human being, not being the cynical, sarcastic piece of shit arsehole that he is. becomes a nice person, a charitable, philanthropic person. He learns fucking piano and he learns how to ice sculpt. All sorts of shit like that. At this point, I'm thinking it's, here's a slightly immature guy who's late a lot. Let's see if he can change his ways and stop being late. I feel like we could have saved an hour and a half if he just has some sort of reminder or alarm on his phone. I mean, at this stage, obviously, he doesn't know, he hasn't got anywhere to put his fucking phone. But they're saying that he could easily squeeze that between those tight buns of his and run around, no problem. But it's not quite the cold improving yourself and you're not going to be allowed out of the trap of Groundhog Day until you realise that the arsehole you are and, and become a better person. Because he's not a bad person. He's actually quite a decent guy. He's just a guy who's a little bit absent-minded. So yeah, 24-17, he's just waking up in the elevator. This is the first occurrence of the repeat hour. So let's see what goes on. I'll try not to get too drunk, I promise. Okay, okay, okay. We're at 38 minutes, 36 seconds. I feel like I'm, I'm taking way too many breaks here because this motherfucker's going to go on forever if I'm not careful. But I have to say, I'm not sure if this is the beer talking. It's actually starting to get quite good. <laughs> and I wish it wasn't. But it's actually... Excuse me. It's actually quite entertaining at this point. So we're now like... Three, three repeats of the hour in at this point. 
and each time he's getting a little bit closer to the wedding. So he has the initial freak out of, holy shit, I've been here before, I've, I've been here already, what the hell's going on? And then he gets to a certain point and then it's, fuck, it's back to the lift and back to being naked again. And then he has the realisation of, shit, this is what's going on. I need to get to the church, I need to rewrite history, I need to make it happen. And he's starting to think, he's starting to think of techniques and trying to remember what he did last time round that went wrong and trying to adjust his behaviour accordingly. So he's done two or three of these so far. The most recent one is he got to the point where he was running through a, a shopping centre and he reached through the railings of a closed shop and managed to, to reach a pair of pink fluffy slippers and a pink dressing gown. So he was no longer bollock naked, but he was wearing a pink dressing gown and pink slippers. And he's running around trying to get a lift from somebody. And he walks past this biker bar. Now, don't take this the wrong way, but he thinks about stealing a motorcycle. And out of the bar come um, a gang of um, Hell's Angels. But they're black hell's angels. Now, I'm not saying anything disrespectful here. I wasn't aware that that was a thing. It may be a thing. And if so, then great. But I don't know if that does exist as a thing. Because they're wearing the leathers and shit. And they've got the skulls and all that crap. And they're not... They haven't got um, choppers, Harley Davidsons. They've got sports bikes. And anyway, he's standing and he's leaning against one of the bikes. And they say, what, you want to buy my bike, boy, or whatever? He leans on the bike and knocks it over. So then they start punishing him. They um, do that thing where they lay the bike down and they rev on the wheels up and they're going to put his face against it. Um, and he says, I took dancing lessons for my wedding. And they're like, dancing lessons? I want to see your dancing lessons. Show me your dancing routine. So he stands up and he starts doing the dance routine. And they all start getting into it. So at this stage, we've got one dude in a pink dressing gown and pink fluffy slippers dancing to a group of five or six biker thugs who also start kind of getting into it and start bopping to the music and then the music stops by the way there is no music this music is incidental music that's put in afterwards so we can only imagine that he's dancing a cappella, so to speak and they're like this isn't good enough I reckon she's going to kick your ass for this shitty dancing I want to see that happen get on this bike we're going to this wedding inexplicably and he says, I'm not riding bitch, meaning I'm not going to get on the back where someone else is riding. So for some reason, one of them, obviously he gets left behind, I don't know, to have a coffee or whatever. And he gets on one of the bikes on his own and starts riding his bike, doesn't know how to ride a bike. He gets sort of nearish to where he needs to be and then he crashes into a fucking concrete bollard at 40 miles an hour. He's then in an ambulance and he's uh, being resuscitated. He wakes up, he's like, shit, 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 what's going on, what's going on? And the guy's like, you've been in an accident. We're taking you to the hospital. Can you tell me what day it is today? And he says, it's my wedding day. It's my wedding day. And the guy in the ambulance is like, oh, you're suffering a concussion. The only thing you're going to be marrying today is a catheter, which is a really weak line, but one that made me kind of laugh anyway because it didn't make any sense whatsoever. But as he's looking out the window, they're going straight past the fucking church that he's about to get married in, funnily enough. So somehow, just as the paramedic is injecting his ass, 
with a sedative, he manages to bundle out of the back of the ambulance. The ambulance doesn't stop and think, shit, this guy's just fallen out the back of an ambulance. The ambulance just carries on. He rolls out, he stands up, he's right outside the fucking church. So he runs to the church, even though at this point he's starting to go a little bit numb, his legs are starting to go because obviously he's just been injected with um, anaesthetic. <clears throat> he gets into the vestibule bit of the church, and who's standing there other than um, Jilted X, who's talking about some kind of deal, dodgy deal that he's doing that he wants to be kept quiet. In walks Rob, he's, at this stage his legs are starting to go a bit, he's walking a bit weird. And he's like, what, are you fucking drunk or something? He's like, no, I'm not drunk, I'm on drugs, blah, 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 blah. And uh, Jilted X says, what is it? I don't get it. Why would she choose you over me? I made $100 million last year. And then Rob says, $100 million? I should be robbing you. Which is actually quite funny. <sighs> then he vomits coins. And <laughs> you won't get that. That won't make any sense to you. One of the things... <laughs> <laughs> okay, rewind a little bit. When Rob leans on the bike and the bike falls over in front of the gang, he's like, fucking hell, he just knocked my bike over. Have you got any money? And all he's got is a handful of change that some woman gave to him because they thought he was a tramp. He says, all I've got is this. And he says, eat it. He's like, well, I'm not eating that. It's unsanitary. I'm not eating that. He says, eat the fucking money. So he eats the money, swallows it all and stuff. And now he's at the church vestibule with Jilted X. He feels a bit bilious and he throws coins up all over the place. And he's like, shit, did he just throw up coins? That's really weird. And he says um, to Rob, is that thing real, by the way, what's going on? And he looks down and his arm is broken like a motherfucker. And it's twisted up, broken like three or four different places. And he says, shit, it looks like a crazy straw. And then Rob starts sucking on his finger as if it's a real straw. And Jilted X says, it's not actually a straw. So anyway. That's where we're at. We're at 38, 36. He's at the church. Jilted X has apprehended him. They're having an awkward conversation. I'm guessing it's going to go tits up again a few more times. Because <laughs> we've still got a fucking hour to go. I don't know how much more of this I can take. But it's actually starting to get entertaining. I'm actually starting to get a little bit drunk. So maybe I'm starting to enjoy myself. Okay, cool. Right, I'll be back in a bit. Okay, so we're at one hour, two minutes and 16 seconds. I wanted to leave a bigger gap between the last and this because otherwise I felt that this podcast was going to be on like for fucking three hours or some shit. But a lot has happened. Okay, so he's been through probably maybe 20 or 30 incarnations of his, his hour. <coughs> Excuse me. And he has made it to the church a few times. He's decided that he had to have a decent thing to wear. So he kept turning up in different suits, but each time the father-in-law kept kicking him out, beating the shit out of him and saying, you're not good enough. So then he realized the only thing he could do was to steal the suit of the jilted lover by having a fight with him outside and stealing his clothes. They had fights maybe 10, 15 times. And throughout all of those, he was learning the moves of the jilted lover so that he could beat him in a fight, because otherwise, apparently, he had no chance in hell of winning the fight. But we've now got to the point where they've 
got to the ceremony and actually having the ceremony and he really wants to know what the fuck happened to him the night before. He's interrogated the, the father and the jilted lover, both of whom don't seem to be responsible for keeping him in the, the elevator all night and fucking up his chances. So he then turns to his best man, grabs him by the scruff of the neck, at the altar, at the wedding, and says, what the hell happened to me last night? You know what happened to me, what happened to me? And he says, it's because you went home with a girl. And <gasps> gasps, gasps abound. And then bride-to-be Megan is like, is this true, is this true? And Rob's like, I don't know, I don't know, maybe it is, I don't know. The repeating theme here, right, is that he wakes up at 11am naked in the elevator and he has until the the clock tower at the church tolls its bells for midday the last bell for 12 minute 12 noon is the time at which he then gets thrown back to 11 a.m naked in the lift so he only has an hour to get to the wedding and get it right he's had many many attempts at this stage I'm probably thinking in excess of maybe 20 or 30 attempts at this one hour. The most recent one is that he broke into, well not broke into, he climbed up and got into the window of the room that Megan was in prior to the wedding and sat her down and said, listen, I don't think I am husband material. I don't think I'm good enough because everything I do isn't good enough. She's all upset and shit and he has to climb out the window. The most recent one, he's woken up in the elevator. Actually, not the most recent one, but the one before this. He woke up in the elevator, 11 a.m., start bollock naked. The elevator doors open to the crowd of people in the, in the lobby, like, <gasps> naked man. He just sits up, closes the fucking doors of the elevator again and lays back down because he's starting to really think he's, he's lost this. He doesn't know what to do to make it right. So now at one hour, two minutes and 15 seconds, he wakes up in the elevator. And I don't exactly know how this is going to pan out, but somehow he's managed to obtain um, bike leathers and he walks past the same um, Hell's Angels gang from earlier on, bumps into one of them and says, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And the guy's going to kick him in the fucking tits. And then he goes, oh, fine, whatever. Rob, in this exchange somehow, has also developed skills in pickpocketing because he has taken his keys in the bumping of the shoulders. Steals the bike. So now he's on his way to the church on a sports bike, in full leathers. It has gone a little bit mad. It is reaching, it is doing all sorts of stupid shit. But I have to say, I'm actually enjoying the film as a whole. Because Marlon Wayans, Wayans is, is good at what he does. He does the slapstick very well. And... He does the sincerity, actually, surprisingly quite well. So I was writing this film off completely from the beginning. And I think maybe the sober eyes of Tiberius might be different to, to these eyes. 
but it is actually watchable and it is actually entertaining and it is actually about well I need to be a better person if I'm going to marry this person, if I'm going to be the man of her dreams. She's the woman of my dreams. If I'm going to be the man of her dreams, I need to get better at certain things. I don't know how that manifests itself in pickpocketing uh, and wearing leathers and, and riding a sports bike to the church, but I'm quite excited to find out. My only issue at this stage is that there's 34 minutes left of this movie, and I don't know how much further they can take this arc this uh, this this uh, this narrative. So we're going to see how it goes. I'm sorry, this is going on much longer than I thought it was going to. This is now beer number nine. So maybe it's just that I'm half cut that I like naked. And <laughs> this may well be the title of the episode. Okay, see you in a bit. Right, okay, so we're at 1 hour, 8 minutes, 34 seconds. Shit's starting to get real up in here, okay? I'm sorry, I've got to say. There's, there's a pigeon currently on the bird feeder, and our bird feeder's got like a shelf above the main feeding level. And he was just sitting on the upper level with his arsehole pressed against the fucking window. <laughs> So I could see what he had for breakfast. But he doesn't have to show me what he had for breakfast. I know what he had for breakfast because he ate his fucking breakfast out of the... F <laughs> Excuse me. Out of the fucking bird feeder. Right. One minute. Sorry. One hour. Eight minutes. 34. The plot is thickening. Really, really thickening. Thickening more than a Dr. Oka put in a mug. The callbacks, man. They're on point. So he has had a bit of a crisis of conscience. He's trying to work out whether he's a good enough man to be Megan's husband. He really isn't sure if he has what it takes to be the husband that he thinks she deserves to have. So he's tried everything just to make the wedding happen, but now he's starting to look more internally at how he can adjust himself as a human being. So he, he went inexplicably uh, and found his mum in, in a bar near the church just before the wedding was about to start and she was half cut and he was asking her about life and for advice and shit like that. But now, where we're at at the minute is that he has gone back to his hotel room and he sat down listening to his voicemails from Megan and there might be a bit... They're like three or four voicemails, increasingly concerned about where he is, but all of them quite jovial, and they're making him laugh, making him... It seems that they're making him realise, if he needed reminding, why he's so in love with her in the first place. And then as he's listening to these voicemails, a woman wakes up in the bed behind him in his hotel room, makes him shit himself, goes, oh, fucking hell, what's going on? This is the woman. This is the woman that the best man mentioned earlier. And he said, who the fuck are you? And she said, I'm the girl from the bar. Which is a weird way to introduce yourself. Who are you? I'm the girl from the bar. Most people would say, I'm, I don't know, Clarice. We hung out for quite a long time last night and we had lots of conversations and heart to hearts. I'm surprised you don't remember. No, it's, I'm the girl from the bar. <laughs> but anyway, it turns out that 
she was talking to him at the bar and he invited her back to his hotel room in order to help him write his vows because he really wanted to make a good job of it. He hadn't written his vows at this point and he was worried about it. He was pissed out of his fucking tree and she came back to the room to help him write his vows. She said that she thought that this was code for having sex. Turns out it wasn't, so she helped him write his vows. He got super-duper drunk and passed out. And then as he's leaving the room at this point, she says, what does she say? Something that implies that she's a prostitute. He said, you're a prostitute? And she says, oh, I thought you'd know. She was hired by somebody to, it seems, make him cheat on Megan to then completely nullify the, the wedding. So now we're thinking, again, sabotage, whether it's jilted lover or dad who's doing this. And he says, where's your phone? Oh, it's in the, it's in the bathroom. Go and check who it was who hired me, because I can't remember their name. And he's on his way to the bathroom when the, uh, the 12 noon bells start going and he gets transported back into the lift, bollock naked again. So now he knows what he needs to do. He needs to go up to his hotel room and he needs to find the fucking phone, find out who set the whole thing up. I don't know how he's going to then unravel the mystery and, and make it that he's not a dick, but let's just see how it goes, okay? And again, I'm sorry, this is going to be a long-ass fucking podcast and I'm on my ninth beer, so I don't even know what level of sense I'm making. But in my head, I'm making perfect sense. I'm looking at pigeons eating out of the feeder, and I'm watching Marlon Wayans, tight ass, running around, bollock naked, for the 28,000th time in the last hour. I'm having a whale of a time, personally. I hope you are too. I'll see you in a bit. One hour, 14 minutes, 19 seconds. We've unraveled the mystery of the saboteur. Okay, so... Rob wakes up in the lift, he goes straight to the concierge and goes to the reception desk and says, I need to use your fucking phone. So he goes to ring the woman from his hotel room, the prostitute, to try and get some information. And then the security guards apprehend him and he's like, fuck, I need to use the phone, I need to use the phone. He thinks they're gonna go for him. And they say, it's okay, sir, you can use the phone in our office. So he goes into the office and starts using the phone. He does, say, he does a little quip. He says to one of the big security guards, he says, what are you looking at, Green Mile? It made me laugh. It was quite funny because he's a big motherfucker. Anyway, he doesn't get through to the person he needs to speak to, to the, to the girl from the room. And the security guards say, right, listen, Rob. Are you aware that you were the victim of quite a serious crime last night? And he says, yes, I am aware. I need to find out who the fuck it was. And they say, you need to see this. We've got some security footage from last night that you need to look at. So they start showing him some CCTV footage from the outside like parking lot area of the hotel. On... A 32-inch HD monitor, and the CCTV footage is the crispest, 
fucking smoothest CCTV footage I've ever seen in my life. It wasn't filmed by a CCTV camera. Obviously, it was some sort of high-tech bullshit because they are showing beautiful imagery here of the bridesmaid. Now, I know you're not going to get this because I haven't mentioned her up to this point because I didn't think it was important to do so. But the bridesmaid is a friend of Megan and... I think she has some history with Rob as well. I think they may have bumped uglies at some point in history, but it didn't go very well. Um, but she's kind of not been important to the plot thus far. She's just been sitting in the background, and I should have seen it coming, because it's always the person in the background who has not a really big part to play in proceedings. They're always the one. They're always the perpetrator. That's my bad, and I'm sorry. So the footage shows her pulling up to the, 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 the entrance to the, the elevator in the parking garage. And she pulls up, she gets out of the car, she opens the boot and pulls out none other than Rob, who is unconscious. He's wearing nothing but his boxers. She drags him through the door. In doing so, his boxers fall off. So now we have an explanation for the nudity, but we don't have an explanation for why he was just in his boxes. I'm guessing it was just because he was in bed and he was passed out. And she drags him into the elevator and then puts like a trolley full of keys for the, for the valets into the doorway. So as the doors close over it, for some reason, I don't know, keys fall off and fall into the gap between the doors, thus causing the keys to block up the gears of the lift and the, the lift getting stuck. So he now knows who is guilty of the sabotage. Um, he rings Megan, leaves her a voicemail and says, I know I've not been the best up to this point. He doesn't say anything about the bridesmaid and the sabotage, but he says, I'm going to be there for you this time. It's going to be fine. I'm going to be the person I need to be for you. Fair enough. Runs out of the hotel. Inexplicably, now he's wearing a tracksuit. I don't know how he got hold of this, but he's wearing a tracksuit and he vaults over the barriers to partake in the last hundred yards or so of the bridge run, the marathon that we were talking about earlier. And he starts sprinting past the, the person in front and he wins, even, even though clearly he jumped over the railings like a hundred yards for the finish line, he's, people are surrounding him and celebrating and stuff. And he walks up to the police who are there and says, dudes, I need a fucking lift. I'm about to get married. I need a lift to the church. Another thing I didn't mention earlier is that during his kind of uh, recon, when he was trying to kind of work out everything, these are the same cops that arrested him in the beginning of the film when he was a streaker. And what he did while he was trying to work out everything in one of the previous incarnations of this one hour is that he went into a coffee shop where these two police officers were having a drink of coffee <clears throat> and spoke to them and asked them what it's like to be in a partnership. And they used buzzwords like, we're ride or die bitches for life. I'll take a bullet for this motherfucker. He uses this information. Now he's speaking to the police officer saying, I need a lift. And they're saying, hell no, what's wrong with you? I'm not giving you a fucking lift anywhere. And he says, seriously, guys, I'm getting married today. 
she's my ride or die bitch. I'll take a bullet for her. And obviously that triggers them. <laughs> and they look at each other, give themselves, <coughs> excuse me, give each other the nod. And they're like, fine, we'll do it. Let's fucking roll. Let's roll. But how are we going to get through all this traffic? Because all the roads are closed because of the bridge run. And Rob says, I've got an idea. And then cut to <laughs> the police car that's got the two cops in it and Rob in the back in his tracksuit. They're being given a, um, an escort through town by this Hells Angels crew who, remember, we're not friends with them at this point because we're repeating the same hour. So we haven't, we haven't got the, uh, you know, the, the rapport with them, with the dance routine or with the bumping into him and taking his keys and all that shit. So we haven't met them yet, but somehow he's managed to get them to give the police vehicle a, uh, an escort to the venue. They get stuck in traffic and they say, don't worry, I think these guys know a shortcut. And they break through a fucking chain link fence and go under a fucking flyover through fucking fields and shit to get to the venue. Bearing in mind that they are giving Hells Angels, who are in themselves you know, a criminal outfit, are escorting the enemy, the police, <laughs> to help them give a lift to a stranger in a tracksuit to a wedding ceremony across town. So all these pieces have fallen into place perfectly to facilitate these sequence of events that are happening currently. So they're currently going through the shortcut. I've paused it at 1.14.19 and they're, from the looks of things, driving right through the middle of a park, a public park, Bearing in mind this is probably about 11.30 in the morning, there are probably people walking their dogs and joggers and shit. Doesn't matter about them, they're collateral damage at this stage because this guy needs to get to the wedding. Obviously that's more important. So that's where we're leaving it. So we've got 22 minutes, 32 seconds left to go. Let's see how this pans out. See you in a bit. Okay, good news guys, we're at 1 hour 29 minutes 18 seconds and that is the end of the movie because it turns out there are 7 minutes and 33 seconds of credits. Listen guys, I don't know why I'm calling you guys all of a sudden, like some fucking YouTuber or something. Listen, motherfuckers, <laughs> this was actually quite a nice film. And excuse me if I'm slightly distracted, but there are currently three pigeons on my windowsill and they look like they're trying to fuck each other. They're probably just kind of reveling in the ambiance of, of what's been happening here because the ending of this movie was very... It was sentimental. And this kind of shit, I normally just say, fuck this, fucking sentimental bullshit. I'm not a man who's devoid of emotion and romance, certainly. But you know when you get um, a comedy movie that you don't think is going to be a rom-com, you think it's just going to be a straight-up comedy and then it gets meaningful towards the end and sentimental and you just think, oh, for fuck's sake, get over yourselves, man. Just fall over or something or kick, kick a hobo in the mouth. You know, just make something funny happen. But, you know, it, it, did, <laughs> it did work. I thought this film was going to be absolute horseshit because the premise of it, as I said earlier on, was it was just plagiarism. It was Groundhog Day with, with a wanky twist. 
actually it was kind of cool. Um, let me try and recap what happened in the, the last few repeats of the hour. Um, I'll take you to the, the, the one that actually stuck. So it turned out that the bridesmaid that we hadn't mentioned until earlier on was responsible for sabotaging the wedding and we don't find out why until they get to it. So the last time I spoke to you, uh, the police were being given an escort through town by the Hells Angels. Um, they got to the church, they started the ceremony, Rob, you know, swung a fucking dirty look over at the bridesmaid who was on the altar as well. Not on the altar, she was like next to the altar. And they did the ceremony and stuff. And what happened was, what I didn't mention before, was that the Jilted X was actually planning a, 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 an aggressive takeover of the father-in-law's uh, business. He'd bought 47% of the shares in the business and he had a lead on another five. So he was going to be the major shareholder in the company, he was going to take it over and put the motherfucker out of business. Rob overheard this while he was up in a tree trying to break into the hotel room that Megan was in. So as the ceremony's going on, the father-in-law says, this is a disaster. This shouldn't have happened. You shouldn't be getting married. And Rob says, what? What are you saying? What are you saying? You should be marrying this motherfucker? I think his name's like Morlan or Marlon or something like that. He says, yes, actually, he's the kind of guy that should be marrying my daughter. He's a go-getter. He says, okay, really? He's a go-getter? Well, he's a go-getter who's planning on taking over your business aggressively. Were you aware of this, sir? And the guy stands up. Is this true? The guy stands up. He's like, yeah, well, you've always treated me like shit. While I was going out with your daughter, you didn't even remember my name. It wasn't until we broke up that you gave me the, light, gave me the time of day. So he storms out. And then the father storms out after him saying, sorry, baby girl, I've got to deal with this. And so Rob chases him out of the church and says, look, you can't deal with this right now. Your daughter's getting married. This is more important. He says, I'm sorry, the grown-ups are talking now. This isn't, this isn't your remit. Go back. Go back in the church, man. The grown-ups are trying to have a conversation. And he says, no. Because marriage is a full-time job with overtime, blah, 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 blah. This is the same speech, actually, that I didn't mention, that the father gave him earlier on in one of the occasions where he kicked him out of the church for wearing a stupid outfit. And he used his own words against him to go back at him. And he woke him up to a couple of things. And he said, Rob, I'm sorry. If there's anything I can do to make it up to you. I mean, that was a real quick turnaround, man. He hated him. Then he exposed Mr. My Shit Doesn't Stink successful white guy. He exposed him as a fucking charlatan. And then just said, are we friends now? And the father's like, oh my God, yeah, I'm so sorry for everything. I'm so, I'm so sorry for my opinions on your personality that I've had for the last few years. They've all been turned around completely now on a fucking tuppence because you have acted on some speculative information. He says, is there anything I can do to make this up to you? And he goes, well, there is something. And another thing I didn't mention before was that on one of the occasions where the dad throws him out of the church when he's wearing a stupid outfit, he has a, um, a chain around his neck that's got a ring on it 
which was the wedding ring that his wife had, his late wife before she died. It was her wedding ring for their marriage and he was very keen on the sanctity and the significance of that ring. So the thing he said, can you do this for me, was to give him that ring so he could present that ring to his bride-to-be, Megan. Still, after all of this preparation and all of these repeat hours, he still hasn't got the fucking ring sorted out. So he relies on some fucking thing transpiring that will allow him to bribe the father-in-law to give him his dead wife's wedding ring so he can present it to his bride-to-be, Megan, and that becomes a significant thing. Oh my God, it's my mother's wedding ring. How did you get that? So that's sorted. And then when it gets to the point in the ceremony at which they say, uh, if there's anybody here present who sees any reason why these two people shouldn't be married, please speak now, forever hold your peace. You know the thing that's in a thousand fucking films and you're waiting for the person to say something dramatic and the bastard bridesmaid bitch says, he fucked the prostitute last night. And everyone's like <gasps> gasping and shit. And he's like, no, Rob says, no, I didn't fuck a prostitute last night. What actually happened was there was a prostitute. I did speak to her. I brought her back into my hotel room to help me with my vows. And that's all that happened. I swear, Megan, I swear. And Megan's like, yeah, I'm not sure if I believe that. And the bridesmaid's like, oh, yo, that's bullshit. Yeah, typical fucking bullshit response. If only the, <laughs> if only the prostitute was here to speak for herself. It just so happens, <laughs> of course, that robbers managed to have a word with this prostitute in this uh, particular incarnation of this 11 to 12 hour. And she's sitting in the fucking back of the church. She stands up and says, that's right, the bridesmaid paid me to try and sleep with Rob, but I didn't. And she's like, uh, the bridesmaid's like, oh, well, who's going to believe the word of fucking hooker? And then the hooker, whose name I can't remember, so she's going to be known forevermore as the hooker, takes out her phone and puts it on speaker to play on speaker a voicemail from bridesmaid. Bearing in mind she's at the back of the church was probably about 20 metres away from the altar. But it's fine because everybody in congregation can hear completely clearly what's being said in this voicemail, which is from the bridesmaid saying, don't forget to go to this hotel at so-and-so time and do the do with, uh, with Rob and make sure that you fuck him. Then the police, who gave, the, gave Rob the lift to the church, who for some reason are now in congregation at the ceremony, sitting there in uniform, on duty, by the way, so they're not, on their, not in their car, they haven't got access to their radio, so all sorts of shit could be going down in Charleston at the moment, but they're oblivious to it because they're sitting, uh, presiding over a wedding that they'd just been invited to maybe 25 minutes previous by a guy who'd pretended to win a marathon. They stand up and they say, hey, that's solicitation. That's a chargeable offence. It's a felony. And they walk up to the altar. Bearing in mind, this shit is all happening in the midst of a fucking wedding ceremony. And the police go right up to the altar and they say to Rob, I, I'm assuming you want to press charges against this motherfucker. And he says... You know what? No, I don't want to press charges. We need to get on with this. And the reason he's saying that is because the 12 o'clock bells have started going. So he knows that time's running out. So he said, I'm not going to press charges against this motherfucker, but please, 
I would request politely that she leaves at this juncture. So she fucks off in a huff and walks out. The police go back to their pews in <laughs> that they shouldn't have had in the first place. The wedding continues, it finishes. The vows bit, where of course Rob hadn't written any vows, he comes up with some unbelievable shit, like on the fucking fly, which is beautiful because how it happened was now it's time for the vows that I believe you've written yourself. Megan, do you want to go first? And she's like, yeah. And Rob's like, no, 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 actually, if it's okay with you, I'm going to go first. Just in case I don't know, he forgets the thing that he's about to make up on the spot. And he says his bit, which is undoubtedly brilliant and beautiful and very sentimental. And then she doesn't even get the chance to say the shit that she's prepared beforehand. Then it's just, okay, that's fine, we're done. You may now kiss the bride, blah, blah, blah. They kiss and shit. And then they go to the reception. And this is where the shit gets interesting. Because at the reception, not only have the two police officers who are still on duty because they're still in full uniform, they are at the reception having a party with the, the wedding party and dancing with the guests and stuff. Not only that, but the Hells Angels, who apparently now are Rob's best friends, even though we can't explain how they even know each other because they've repeated this hour over and over again. So he hasn't even met them, but he's managed to convince them not only to give the policemen, uh, the police officers an escort to the wedding, but also trust them and be nice enough. Bearing in mind that the first time he met these people, they were trying to sh fucking rip half of his face off with one of the wheels of the fucking motorcycle that he'd accidentally knocked over. Now, they're guests at the wedding reception, dancing and drinking and eating the fucking free food. Still in their leathers, don't forget, they're just hanging out, dancing with the police. And there's like, oh, yeah, yeah, congratulations, brother. And they're all like best friends and shit. And Brian McKnight, the R&B star, Brian McKnight is now singing at their wedding. Now, one thing I forgot to mention was that Brian McKnight turned up in this film a few times already. Because at the time, I didn't mention it because I didn't recognise him as Brian McKnight. He was just a dude who was sitting on the patio at the hotel playing guitar and trying to write a new song. And he was kind of hit, hitting writer's block and he had an entourage with him. Rob turns up and talks to him a little bit. This is way early in the film. This is in one of the previous incarnations of this 11 till 12 hour thing. And he helps him to write a song. But this was ages. It hasn't happened in this hour. But somehow it's all been sorted out so that Brian McKnight is now singing. I mean, how much does it cost to get Brian McKnight to, to perform at any kind of gig, let alone on the fly, a wedding, just out of the blue by a guy you've just met who's probably at this stage wearing nothing other than a paper bag that he's turned into pants because let's not forget he woke up bullet naked in the fucking lift. He's like, yeah, I'll sing at your fucking wedding. I'll call, I'll ring around, I'll get my whole band. We'll all come down. Oh no, don't worry about fees. You seem like a nice guy. I want to do this for, I want to do this gratis because you know, you, you seem like a nice dude. You know, you're wearing, you're wearing a Macy's bag for knickers. Why wouldn't I want to help you? So he's now singing at the wedding. As I said, the Hell's Angels are there dancing, the police are there dancing, everyone's having a fucking wonderful time. 
and they kiss and they dance and that's the end of the movie. Now, although this film completely goes against most forms of known logic, if you suspend your disbelief, which you have to do aggressively and consistently throughout this uh, hour and 29 minutes, what this actually is, is a genuinely quite entertaining film. Marlon Wayans is actually really good at not only the stupid comedy shit that we know him for, but he's actually really good at the sentimentality, although it's contrived and it's wanky and all the, you know, the, the dramatic, nice romantic music that happens in movies, that is clearly like royalty-free shit that they've got online. He does a really good job. And what I'll say to you is, if you want to watch Naked, well, I'm hoping you're watching Naked throughout this podcast, but if for some reason my commentary on this movie has inspired you to watch it, I would actually say watch Naked, but I would say do what I did, which is drink nine cans of strong European lager throughout the process, because you'll find the first half an hour pretty wanky. By the time it gets to an hour and 29, you're thinking it's Oscar material. So do that. Okay, so that's all I've got time for this week because I need to, I need to live my fucking life, man. So don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Tibbs. I saw at Tibbs. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Tiberius World, on Facebook at Tiberius World, or Instagram, or YouTube. You've got all the links to all of my social media accounts on my website, which is TiberiusWorld.com, on which you'll also find a link to the podcast if you want to subscribe, which I recommend you do. It's now available on Stitcher and iTunes and most other uh, podcast apps. What I would ask you to do is to please share it with your friends or your affiliates and please leave a review of it on whatever platform you listen to it on because that really helps it to uh, to get noticed and i know we're only on episode two episode one was me walking to work and episode two is me getting pissed up watching a netflix original movie however it really does help me if you can leave a review uh, a star rating or just put leave Leave honest feedback about the podcast. Uh, that really does help me, and I really would appreciate it if you do that. I'll be back this time next week. Fuck knows what I'm going to be doing. I did say last week I might be on the sofa scratching my bollocks, and that's exactly what I've delivered. Next week I'm probably going to be walking about again talking shit, so you can look forward to that. Have a lovely week. Take care. Enjoy yourselves. Love you. Bye. Bye.